The following resource was recorded at Liberty Baptist Church, where we are one family with one mission. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Hello, this is Pastor Brandon, and thank you for tuning in to today's pastoral devotion. I invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We will focus our attention today on Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, in the superiority of Christ's priesthood. Christ's superiority is a major theme in Hebrews. The letter states that he is superior to angels, Old Testament revelation, Old Testament persons like Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. Christ is greater than the Old, Te- Old Covenant sacrificial system. In Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, the author discusses Jesus' superiority to the Levitical priesthood. Now, of particular importance in our text is the explanation of Jesus' present intercessory ministry as priest. Oftentimes, we think about the work of Christ only in terms of past accomplishment through his life, death, and resurrection, and future consummation through Jesus' return. Both aspects are true and glorious, but we should not forget the present moment-by-moment intercession of Christ, which applies Christ's atonement and secures our final salvation. We will see that present intercessory ministry of Christ in our text today. So if you have your Bible open to Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, we will read it together. Verse 23, now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Let me say a word of prayer for us. Father, we ask your help in studying this passage to see Christ in his glory as the superior high priest, one who has lived a perfect life, has died a substitutionary sacrificial death, has resurrected and who is exalted above the heavens and who offers salvation to all who approach him in faith. We pray, God, that you would strengthen our love for you, increase our worship of you through this passage. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to set before you three truths about Christ's priesthood in our text. Three truths about Christ's priesthood. First, we see that Christ's priesthood is distinct. And I think this is one of the main themes that we see in our passage. If you notice in verse 23, we see that the author begins to describe the many Levitical priests of the Old Covenant with the one priest of the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. The verse reads, Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. Several distinctions are drawn between the Old Covenant priests and Christ, the New Covenant priest. First, we see that the Levitical priests were appointed by law, 
whereas Christ is appointed as priest and son from heaven by God's oath. God's oath can be found in verse 21, and this comes from Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. As verse 28 explains, this oath came after the law, and it points already in the Old Testament to the end of the law as a ritual system. God's Messiah would be a priest forever. Second, we see that Old Covenant priests came from the tribe of Levi and from the line of Aaron. These are the specific men that God appoints, verse 28. However, as Hebrews 7.14 tells us, it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. Instead, Hebrews teaches us that Christ comes after the order of Melchizedek, the unique Old Testament figure from from Genesis 14 who blessed Abraham. Like Melchizedek, Christ is a priest and a king. Next, the Old Covenant priests were many in number. Christ is singular in number. Levitical priests were many in number because they died and were succeeded. Christ, however, died and was resurrected. And I think in verse 28, the priests being characterized by weakness is likely testifying to the fact that these Old Covenant priests died and were succeeded and did so each successive generation. Likewise, we see that Levitical priests had personal sin, that they offered up sacrifices not only for the sins of others, but for their own sin. Christ, though, is free from sin, free from evil, untainted by sin, unmarred by moral corruption, totally pure, qualified for priestly service. We read in verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. As sinners, Levitical priests offered animal sacrifices for themselves. Alternatively, verse 27 says, Christ doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. Levitical priests offer regular sacrifices. Christ offered a once-for-all time sacrifice on the cross for sinners. Furthermore, Old Covenant priests offered animal sacrifices, whereas Christ offered himself for others. Christ, then, is the priest and the sacrifice. Finally, we see in this passage that Levitical priests hold their office temporarily Christ holds his office permanently. We will return to this idea in just a moment. Clear throughout Hebrews and visible in our passage is Christ's distinct priesthood. And the second truth of Christ's priesthood is built on the first. The second truth is that Christ's priesthood saves. Christ's priesthood saves. Because Christ holds a distinct office in terms of appointment, perfection, Sufficiency, singularity, and permanence, Christ's priesthood saves to the uttermost. Notice the transition from verse 24 to 25 in our text. But because he, Christ, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Different translations capture the idea of Christ's salvation 
slightly differently here. You see that the CSB reads, he is able to save completely. The ESV reads, he is able to save to the uttermost. The New American Standard reads, he is able to save forever. So it may be, I, it may be that both ideas are represented which would mean that Christ's salvation is complete in terms of degree, and Christ's salvation remains forever in terms of time. In other words, nothing can supplement Christ's salvation, and nothing will supersede his salvation as it lasts forever. Christ's work reaches to the uttermost. It has no limits. In Hebrews, we see that Christ is able in chapter 2, verse 18, we see that Christ is able to help those who are tempted. In chapter 4, verse 18, Christ is able to help the weak. And here in chapter 7, Christ is able to save sinners. Another observation worth mentioning about verse 25 is the phrase, through him. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. There is no other priest. There is no other provision. That can bring about complete and everlasting salvation. Only Christ's priesthood saves. For those who recognize themselves to be sinners and are wanting, needing to escape the wrath of God, the only provision is Christ in his life, death, resurrection, and intercessory ministry. The third truth we see about Christ's priesthood is that his priesthood is forever. Christ's priesthood is forever. Look with me at verse 25. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Unlike the Levitical priests, Christ's death did not terminate his priesthood. Prior to Jesus, every generation in Israel, there was a change in priesthood. Thousands of priests had taken their office and thousands of priests had been succeeded. Christ, though, holds his priestly office forever. And so since Jesus always lives as priest, he is always able to save his priest. The imperfection and impermanence of the Levitical priesthood has been replaced by Christ's perfect and permanent priesthood. Therefore, verse 25 says, he always lives to intercede for us, his people. Christ's eternal intercession guarantees the effectiveness of his sufficient atonement for sinners. Salvation has been accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Yes, salvation is continually applied through Christ's intercession. Prior to Jesus coming, there were numerous priests, and those priests offered insufficient sacrifices. That has all changed in Jesus' priesthood. Which means this, the saving benefits of Christ's death endure forever. They're available to all who turn to Christ in faith. One of the main purposes of this letter is to instill confidence in the reader that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins. And you and I can have full assurance of our salvation because Christ's priesthood is distinct. It saves and his priesthood is forever. Many applications can be made from this text. I will limit myself to only one. I would encourage you to trust God's word. 
That may sound simple, but I really do think it is the application of this passage. If you look back again at verse 21, we see that God made an oath concerning this priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn, verse 21 says, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That again comes from Psalm 110. That priest is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God swore that this priest would remain in office forever, and so he does. As Hebrews 6 teaches us, God has nothing greater to swear by other than himself. It says in chapter 6, verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie. So get this. God has made an oath that the Lord Jesus will be a priest forever which means that his effective sacrifice endures throughout all of eternity, and which means that we are secure through Christ. Our salvation is as eternal as God's Son and as fixed as God's Word. Through Christ, God has fulfilled and will fulfill all his promises, including that of Jeremiah 31, which we see in chapter 8. I will forgive their wrongdoing. And I will never again remember their sins. The two greatest assurances for our salvation in Christ are the sufficiency of Christ's person and work and the trustworthiness of God's word. So trust God's word today. If you're struggling with assurance, if you're contemplating the things of your salvation, I encourage you that if you're trusting in Christ, you are forgiven and your salvation is stable because of God's oath and because of Christ's work. This very day, we are being saved by the eternal intercession of Jesus in heaven. Today, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. I want to close today with a quote from the Puritan Richard Sibbs on Christ's priestly intercession. Sibbs says, What a comfort it is now in our daily approach to God that we go to God in the name of one that loves us in whom his soul delights. We have a friend in court, a friend in heaven for us that is at the right hand of God and interposes himself for us. Amen. And I hope we take good courage from that truth.